0: السلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والعقبة للمتقين ولا عدوان إلا على الظالمين وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له إله الأولين والآخرين وأشهد أن نبينا وسيدنا محمد عبده ورسوله النبي المصطفى الأمين Welcome to another, uh, another lesson with QP and inshaAllah today we're going to continue with our tafsir of al Anshikaq And last week um, before we begin with just a brief recap I asked a question concerning uh, two brothers uh, that are referred to in the verses that we, we covered some of them last week and some of them inshaAllah ta'ala we'll cover today uh, two brothers, one was a believer companion and the other one was a disbeliever from the enemies of Islam. Um, and both of them are mentioned in the context of these verses. So we mentioned one of them uh, last week and his name was Al-Aswad ibn wa Abdul Asad. And he was the enemy of Islam, the, non, the non-believer who uh, was an enemy of the Prophet Wasallam, an enemy of the Muslims. Uh, but I was asking who his brother was who was the brother that was the companion, the famous well known companion. Um, and so I hope that someone was able to look into that and then inshallah if you have been able to do so then please post that uh, as we go into those verses. But last mm-hmm. week we covered, um, I think two or three verses, verses six and seven of Suratul Inshikaq in which Allah Subh'anaHu Ta'ala, uh, speaks about how mankind is toiling uh, laboriously towards Allah Subh'anaHu Ta'ala and you will meet it or him, depending on which translation you take. And I think last week, it seems that I uh, that we forgot to mention this part, which was, we said that there were three uh, major things that we wanted to discuss uh, in this verse. Number one was the statement of Allah Azza wa insan or people, but it's mentioned in the singular, and who that's referring to, and is it referring to an individual, is it referring to, uh, the species of of just humans, but even though it's is is used in the singular form, it refers to the whole category grouping of humans. And number two was the word ila rabbika This word Kadh and what it refers to. And number three was the last part, which is that you will meet him. And whether that pronoun the at the end of مُلَاقِيَهِ what it's referring to, what is exactly that you're going to meet. And I I don't know if we cover that. Um, in detail last week or if we just forgot and we, we just kind of skipped it um, but just, just to recap just in case we didn't cover it in sufficient detail uh, the, the, the the two positions amongst the scholars with tafsir is that a pronoun either refers to your actions or it refers to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so the as we know in Arabic language everything is either of a male or a female pronoun that's how it works in the Arabic language There is no it in the Arabic language everything is usually spoken of either in the male form or in the female form, and there are other languages uh, in the world that take the, take a similar. Uh, the, it's very similar in that way, as opposed to English. In English, no, we have he, she, and it. So something which is a inanimate object, we would say that it's an it, right? The the, the rock, the mountain, the seas. These are all its because they're neither considered to be male or female in terms of the linguistic sense. Not obviously in the in the in the in the. Uh, in the realistic sense or the literal sense but just in the linguistic sense but in the Arabic language no everything is either male or female so either we say for example the Hajar is male the Qamar is male but the Shams is female in the Arabic language in the Shamsu wirat, right? and that's why you have the Ta at the end and so this is something which you will see within within the Arabic language so when Allah Azza wa Jal says if mulaqih, you will meet it what is, the, what is it referring to? is it referring to a He? meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or is it referring to an it, meaning the actions that you perform? Because Allah is really saying that mankind is laboriously toiling towards their deeds. the the, the In their actions, they're laboriously toiling towards their Lord and they will meet it. What is, the, what, what is it that they're going to meet? Some of the scholars said that it's referring to the actions, meaning the actions that they're laboriously toiling with throughout their life, they're performing actions and deeds and that's all that they're doing then eventually they'll come to that point on yawm al-qiyama when they will meet it meaning they will meet their actions Their actions will be presented to them that's what they will see in, in the record of their deeds and that's what they will then meet on that day and obviously that's what they will be recomp- recompensed for as well and ibn qayyim ta'ala, mentions both of these he says uh, and he says both of them are, you know both of them are correct in the sense that both of these things will happen إِنْ عَادَ عَلَى الْعَمَلُ فَهُوَ رُؤْيَتُهُ فِي الْكِتَابِ مُثْبَتًا If the pronoun is referring to the actions, as some of the scholars said, then it's referring to the record of deeds that will, that will be presented to a person. All of their deeds will be recorded therein. And that's what they will meet. That's what they will meet on that day. Or the second position he says is that it's referring to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if it's referring to Allah Azza wa Jal, so the ha at the end is referring to a he, you will meet him, meaning your Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then it's referring to the meeting that Allah Azza wa has promised to all of mankind. And as we said, both of those meanings are correct. Both of them are correct. Why? Because both of those things will happen. You will be presented with your deeds, your record of deeds, and you will meet your Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala, meaning he will be the one that will judge you on that day and hold you to account on yawm al-qiyamah. And so both of those meanings are correct. But in the first instance, what's being referred to? That's where the issue of difference occurs amongst the scholars of tafsir or amongst the scholars of Arabic language in terms of what it's referring to in the first instance. Is it referring to the actions that you're going to meet, the amal, or is it referring to to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he is the one that you will meet? And I think when we were looking at the translation uh, last week in English, I think we found that other than Sahih International everyone else that we quoted because we only use like three or four we don't use a great number um because otherwise this you know we could go into like possibly like a dozen different translations but uh, uh other than Sahih International every so everyone else translated it as meeting your lord as meeting your lord I, I don't know, actually Mohsen Khan did also he said then you will meet but then in brackets the results of your deeds which you did so Sahih International Mahsan Khan. Refer to the actions, Professor Abdul Hadi Mufti Taqi. referred to the meeting with Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, and as we said, both are both are correct. And again, it's one of those examples of how uh, knowing the tafsir helps you to kind of understand the differences uh, that you sometimes find in the translations. Because as we said before, the translator has to choose a tafsir; he's got to choose one position uh, in terms of the the differences of opinion amongst the scholars with tafsir. And usually what that scholar will do or that that, that translator will do is that they will have a tafsir that they make an itimad of. The tafsir that they rely upon as their primary reference and source that they go back to, maybe something like Ibn Kathir, for example, or maybe something like Al-Qurtubi, or maybe something similar. Uh, I think that's what they would usually do. So I think Mohsin Khan, for example, uh, often, uh, if I can remember correctly from his introduction, often goes back to Ibn Kathir, not Tamari. And uh, Ibn Kathir is in many ways, a summary of tabari, in many ways. So that's the tafsir that he will go back to and that's the position that he will often refer to and take. And others know, others may take a different one. So the point here being that this is this is what it's referring to, uh, either it's referring to the actions or it's referring to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we covered verse 6 and then we covered verse 7 which Allah azza wa jalla speaks about the two groups of people then that will meet him on yawm al-qiyamah. The first of those people as we began uh, last week speaking about in verse 7 are those that Allah Azza will honour and those that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will favour and they are the people who will receive their record of deeds in their right hand. They will receive their record of deeds in their right hand and as a result of that uh, they will be honoured on Yawm Al-Qiyamah they will be favoured on the Day of Judgment. Uh, and as some of you have mentioned uh, in, in the chat yes the brother that's being referred to is the famous companion Abu Sanamah? Abu and we'll speak about him عنه, in a short while inshallah ta'ala So yes, so, th- so verse number 7 this is the first grouping of people Allah refers to them as having received their record of deeds in their right hand and we mentioned last week the statements of Ibn Ashur and others concerning how uh, Allah stresses the right hand either in terms of the record of deeds that's going to be given, that the people of Jannah receive their record of deeds in their right hand or in the context of them being on the right side, الْيَمِنِ الْيَمِنِ, as Allah says in Surah Al-Waqi'ah, and the people of the right What will allow you to know who the people of the right are, meaning that they will be placed on the right side. And that's something which you find within, uh, within our religion. So even for example in terms of fiqh, it's the position of of many of the scholars that behind the imam as you start the row you fill up the right side before you fill up the left side so the row always starts, starts to the right of the imam and that's why if you're praying uh, two people together for example two two brothers two men are praying together the imam always stands on the left not on the right on the right side is the person who's praying and following him he's the, he's the person who's following the imam and that's because you always start the saf, the, the row in salah to the right of the imam. And people often get mixed up because they think that the imam should be the one on the right. No, you're looking at it in a different point of view. You're looking at it from the point of view of where the imam stands. Well, the imam, the asal is that he would stand by himself. That's the norm. The norm is that the imam stands by himself and the people stand behind him. This is now a different issue because there's only two of them. So rather than just having one person stand behind him because there's a hadith as as we know also that the Prophet ﷺ so don't stand by yourself in a row then he stands next to the imam but the saf always starts to the right of the imam and that's why he does that and that's why even if you're starting behind the imam the imam is by himself you would start normally filling up the right side before the left that's like generally the better way of doing it although you know often you find that's not necessarily the way that people do it in their masjids but there are a hadith uh, for example that the prophet said that indeed Allah and his angels send salah upon almayameen, as-saf, those who stand to the right of the row, they fill up the right side of the row. And so there are certain narrations that speak about the virtues of doing so as well. So that's just generally an asr, as a principle in our religion as we know that you always start with the right side for anything that is noble, anything that is that is praiseworthy. And so that's the same thing on al Qiyamah, Allah Azza wa Jalla will give to the people of Jannah their record of deeds in their right hand as a sign and a show of their position and their status on Yawmul Qiyamah So in today's lesson, inshallah ta'ala, we're going to continue from verse number 8 That's where we, we, we paused last week And we're still speaking about the people of the right hand side How Allah Azza wa describes them And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in verse number 8, He says They will have an easy reckoning They will have an easy reckoning and that's the translation of Professor Abdul Harim. Uh Mufti Taqi, he will be called to account in an easy manner. Sahih International, he will be judged with an easy account. And Muhsin Khan, he will surely receive an easy reckoning. فَسَوْفَ yasira, He will be given an easy reckoning. And we mentioned last week uh, the hadith of Aisha radiyallahu anha in Sahih Al-Bukhari, where the uh, Prophet sallallahu alaihi said ليس hadun إلا halak. No one will be held to account on that day. Uh, al muhasaba means an accounting or or a back and forth in terms of in terms of uh, in terms of an accounting. No one will be held to account in that way, إلا except that they will be destroyed. She said, "O oh Messenger of Allah, may I be sacrificed for you?" Doesn't Allah Azza wa Jalla say in the Quran? So she recited these two verses seven and eight of Surah Al-Inshiqaq That the one who is given their record of deeds in their right hand, they will have an easy reckoning. So Allah says that they will have an easy reckoning and he calls it, he calls the word hisab. And you said, O Messenger of Allah, the same word, Hisab. If someone has a Hisab, they're going to be destroyed. Allah says that they will have an easy hisab. The Prophet said, `Sallallahu alaihi wasallam, `ذاك العرب ومن نوقش هلك. And That's a presentation. Meaning, what Allah Azza is referring to in the Quran. As for the one who is challenged, who there is some debate uh, or argumentation with them, that person will be destroyed. And we mentioned this last week. We mentioned this last week that the the difference between the two is one is given their record of deeds, almost as if as if you're going to grant someone a prize. You know, when someone comes and you grant them an award, you grant them a certificate, you grant them their record of achievement, that's not necessarily you questioning them. They already, they've already they passed, They know, everyone knows that they've passed. You're just simply giving them their record of achievement. Like we used to have, for example, in school, uh, they used to give you that red binder when I was in school anyway, that used to con- contain, it's like a portfolio that used to contain all of your achievements and your, your records and, and so on. That's what they give to you. You don't open it, they don't start questioning you about it. That's just a presentation. So that's what the Prophet said Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam for the people of the Yameen. And as we mentioned last week, at like every stage for the people of Jannah, Allah makes it easy. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it easy. And even in this, where the Prophet وسلم, where Allah could have asked them and questioned them about certain things, no. Allah Azza simply gives to them their record of deeds and that is enough. As for those who then this issue starts of back and forth and debate and argumentation and did this and didn't do that and why not and why this and the excuses start to be made, halak. Those are the people that were are most likely to be punished uh, and Allah wa Jalla knows best because Allah may forgive whomsoever he will subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why Ibn, um, <coughs> Ibn Zayd rahimahullah ta'ala, he said that the hisabun yaseer, the easy reckoning, what it means is that Allah forgives their sins Allah forgives his sins وَيُتَقَبَّلُ And Allah accepts his good deeds So Allah has forgiven them and accepted their good deeds That's what he means in terms of the easy reckoning And he recited other verses of the Quran For example, the statement of Allah Azzawajal أُولَٰئِكَ الَّذِينَ نَتَقَبَّلُوا أَنْهُ مَحْسَنَ مَا عَمِلُوا وَنَتَجَاوَزُ عَنْ سَيِّئَاتِهِمْ فِي أَصْحَابِ الْجَنَّةِ Surah Al-Haqaf those are the ones that we will accept from them the best of that which they did and forgive them for their evil deeds amongst the people of paradise, amongst the companions or the inhabitants of paradise. And there is a narration also that there is a difference of opinion concerning so authenticity or lack thereof. Uh, however, there is a, a, a narration that is collected in a number of books of hadith such as the Musnad of Al-Bazzar and Imam Al-Tabarani in his Al-Awsat, in, in his Mu'jam Al-Awsat and Ibn al-Adi and Al-Bayhaqi, and Al-Hakim, all of them collect like this hadith on the authority of Abu Hurairah or the distinct of Abu Huraira radiyallahu an, that he said, man kunna fihi yaseera, three types of people Allah will give to them an easy accounting and will enter them into paradise by his mercy. And that is that they are those, number one, the first one, those who give, those who prevent them. Those who give to those who prevent from giving to them. Number two, those who pardon the ones who oppress them. And number three, those who join the ties of kinship with those who sever those ties with them. So the first one is the one who gives to those who refuse to give back. Number two, the one who forgives when others oppress them. And number three, those who join the ties of kinship and others choose to sever them. Uh, and so this is the Hisabi Yasir, the Hisabi Yasira is that Allah forgives you, that Allah pardons you, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't hold you to account for and start to debate you or question you concerning that which you did. And that's why even the hadith of the, of the sitr of Allah جل, the hijab of Allah on Qiyamah, that person that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes into a private setting and then he it reminds him of the many evil deeds that he performed. And it's only a reminder, only a reminder and he acknowledges them. And then Allah says that I veiled them from others in the dunya, I will forgive them for you on this day. That also is not a debating. It's just simply a way of Allah showing his favor, his mercy, his bounty and grace upon that particular individual. So it's not a it's not a, a munakasha. A munakasha or a muhasaba is when there is a back and forth, a giving and, and and taking and so on and so on. That's something which is called muhasaba or munakasha. And the um, the verses in the Quran that speak about, for example, the people of the fire, show that they will be the ones to make that type of munakkaasha. They're the ones debating, because they're asking Allah Azza oh wa Jalla, "Let us go." Oh Allah, if we sent us back to the earth, Oh Allah, we would be like this, and we would do this, and we would, and we didn't know. And we, they, they are the ones who are making excuses and going back and forth, and, and trying to change their circumstances and what have you. Those are the people that are doing this, and those are the people, therefore. That Allah Azza wa as the Prophet said, وسلم, those who have to undergo that process, they are the ones that will halak, they are the ones who will be destroyed. And that's why Imam Al tabari he said, yasira, That Allah will give to them an easy accounting or an easy reckoning. It is that Allah جل, will look at their deeds. سيؤها, and then that person will be forgiven for their evil deeds. And he will be rewarded for his good deeds. Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala will give to them that which they which they need in order to enter Jannah, and Allah Azza Wa Jalla will forgive them that which then will keep them safe from the fire of Hell. Uh, the uh, Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah uh, he also mentions another verse. And that is the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Suratul Haqah. On the day that you will be made to stand before your Lord, nothing will remain hidden. Nothing will remain hidden. He says that there is no difference between these verses or no clash between or conflict between these verses and the verses that are mentioned here. And the hadith anha that we mentioned in Sahih al-Bukhari. And that is because Ibn Qayyim says that in order to understand all of this, he says the Hisabul Yasir, which is the easy reckoning, it is the presentation that is required. It is the presentation which Allah Azza wa Jalla tells every person what they what their grade is, what their what their position is, whether they passed or they failed. So when a person receives their record of deeds in their right hand, Allah Azza will honor them and tell them that you were successful. Everything you did in the dunya, in preparation for this moment now, on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, it was enough. It was sufficient and you have the reward. And so that is why a person, uh, as he says, cannot be successful on that day. No one will be successful in al Qiyam. No one enters into Jannah except by Allah's forgiveness and by Allah's mercy, as the Prophet told us, وسلم, None of you will be will, none of you will, will, will be successful as a result of their their deeds or only their deeds. They said, "Not even you, O Messenger of Allah." He said, "Not even me." And it's Allah Azza wa showers His mercy upon me, and so that's what He is saying, Rahim Allah Taala ibn Qayyim Also. So therefore Allah Azza wa will present someone with their deeds or their record of deeds in their right hand. That's like saying to them that you've passed, you've done well, it's enough. And they enter into Jannah. But if it has to come to a back and forth, a munaqasha, a debate, an argument over that person's account and their record of deeds, ولابد, then that means that that person will be punished on yomul qiyamah. May Allah Azza wa Jalla. Keep us safe from that, and that's why from the du'as that are mentioned in in the Sunnah is that you make the du'a, Allahumma hasibni hisabeen yasira, Oh Allah, give to me an easy accounting. That you ask Allah Azza for an easy accounting on Yom al Qiyamah, that Allah gives to you an easy accounting, uh, and 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 similar hadith that speak about having an easy accounting on Yom al Qiyamah, or that Allah Azza wa Jalla makes you from amongst those people that He favors on Yom al Qiyamah. So this person on Yawmul Qiyamah who's given their record of deeds in their right hand and their c- accounting is easy meaning that they've been forgiven for their sins that Allah Azza wa Jalla has accepted their good deeds He's multiplied their reward and as a result they will go into Jannah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then describes him in verse number 9 and he says uh, and, he, and return to his people in happiness that's the translation of Sahih International Mufti Taqi, he will go back to his people joyfully, Abdul Harim, uh, uh, Professor Professor Abdul Harim, and return to his people well pleased, and Muhsin Khan, and will return to his family in joy. So that person will go back, meaning he will he will announce, due to the level of happiness and joy that he will have, he will announce to the people that he has been successful, as Allah Azawajal mentions in that verse in Surah Al-Haqaf, فيقول this person will say, come and read my record. So this person will, will, will announce and proclaim amongst all of the people that he's been successful because of the sheer amount of joy. And people do that all the time in the dunya for far lesser things. Someone has a child, someone gets a promotion, someone comes into a successful business deal and people proclaim it. They gather people around, they announce it, they have dinners, they have parties. they have all sorts of celebrations. Imagine the amount of joy and happiness that a person would feel on human al qiyamah knowing that they've had the greatest of all success, that they will have Jannah, that it is theirs for eternity, that Allah has saved them from the fire, that they have nothing more to fear, about, nothing more to fear, nothing more to worry about, no harm, no pain, no fitna, no trial, no issue will ever come upon them again after that day or after that moment. How happy will that person be? And so therefore that person will return and that happiness will be, will be very visible uh, on their faces and that's why Allah Azzawajal says "We'll وَيَنْقَلِبُ ila ahlihi masrura." He will return to his family or his people while pleased depending on what the word Ahl means Mujahid Rahimahullah Ta'ala he said "Ila أَهْلٍ لَهُ فِي Meaning to his family that is waiting for him in Jannah and Qatada Rahimahullah Ta'ala said something very similar "Ila To his family that Allah has prepared for him in Jannah so that may be part of his family from the dunya that's already in Jannah or going to be in Jannah with him. And it may be his family that Allah has placed for him, waiting for him in Jannah, meaning from, for example, the wives of uh, his wives in Jannah, for example, or others uh, that Allah جل, that will become his household in Jannah. Because it may be that, for example, a person, as Allah tells us, Allah will give to men Hurulin. Allah also will give to all of the people of Jannah, wildan, servants. These people now become the household, right? the people, his people. And that's why you often find in these translations, they're saying he goes back to his people. Not necessarily his family. Because they differed, is it referring to his actual family, the family of his dunya? Is it referring to his new family in Jannah? Because not all of that family may necessarily be in Jannah. Maybe some of them are not Muslims, some of them are Muslims, but they, they sinned and they erred. And so as a result, they're being punished. So there is a difference of opinion over that. But the point is that he will proclaim to his people. The people that you would go to, because often when you're happy, and you're you're in that 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 mood or that 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 joyous occasion, the people that you want to share it with are the people that are closest to you. That's just normal or natural human instinct. The people that you usually tell first and foremost are the people that are closest to you, and the people that you want to share in that happiness with you to benefit most from your success are usually, often speaking, the people that are closest to you. It's going to be your wife, your husband, your children, your parents, your family, your closest friends. These are the people that you want to share with you. And so likewise, Allah is saying that this person on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, they will go back to his people. He will go to his people, his family. Those are the people that he will return to in the, in the state of joy. And, uh, and that's similar to also what Imam Al-Tabari Rahimahullah Ta'ala said, هَذَا الْمُحَاسَبُ حِسَابٍ إِلَىٰ أهلي فِي الْجَنَّةِ مسرورة. This person who was given an easy accounting by Allah جل, on Yom Al-Qiyamah, he will go back to his family in Jannah in a state of joy, in a state of, of happiness, being well pleased. So as we said um, in, in, in the uh, lesson last week, that the scholars of Tafsir, some of them said, when Allah says, Ya Ayyuhal Insan, O Mankind, or O People, or O Person, some of them said that it's referring to people in general, other said is referring to an individual or two individuals primarily. In these verses, the one who will get his reward or his record in the right hand, and then in the following verses, 10 onwards, speaking about those people who will receive their record of deeds and uh, at their back or from behind their back, it's referring to two individuals. And either way, the meaning is one and the same, because even those scholars who said that it's referring to these two individuals said, it is initially or, or at the outset referring to them, but it includes everyone. They are by way of example only. So as we said last week, one of the first one, and these are two blood brothers, two actual brothers. The first of them was Al-Aswad. Al-Aswad ibn Abd al-Asad from the tribe of Makhzum. Makhzum is from the clans of Quraysh, and from its strongest and most powerful clans. And it's the same clan that Abu Jahal was from, the same clan that Khalid ibn al was from, same clan from a number of the of, of famous personalities in our history. Uh, Banu Makhzum was, was one of the strongest premier clans of, of the Quraysh. And as I think we've mentioned this before, that the Quraysh consists of families. Those families, as they grow, become clans. So you have the big tribe of Quraysh. All of them ultimately are, are going to be related to one another. However, those people that are Quraysh, as they expand generation after generation after generation, Each family becomes like a clan So Banu Hashim Which is the clan of the Prophet All of them come from that great grandfather Hashim Banu Muttarib Likewise Also another clan Then you have for example Banu Umayya Banu Abd shams Banu Nawfal Banu Adi Banu Makhzum All of these are different clans within Quraysh So from the strongest of those clans Was the clan of Abu Jahan and from the leaders of his clan, because as we said, it's a chieftain system, it's a tribal system, so there's no one ruler in that sense, there's no king or president. It's a number of chiefs of the tribes, but they would have seniority amongst them. Some would be stronger, more powerful because of their age, because of their wisdom, because of their leadership. They would be given a higher status. Like, for example, the grandfather of the Prophet Wasallam, Abdul Muttalib, before him, his great-grandfather Hashim, his uncle Abu Talib. These were people that were respected and honored even amongst the leaders of Quraysh, they were often given a status or a position that was considered to be more honorable. And that's why Abdul Muttalib, in that famous story as we covered in Surah Al-Feel, in that famous story, even though he's just one of the chiefs, he's considered to be the leader of the chiefs, right, the chief of the chiefs if you like. And so therefore, you have something similar in the time of the Prophet wasallam. Abu Jahl is from the leaders of Banu Makhzum, but also from the nobility of Banu Makhzum and one of its leaders was this man called Al-Aswad. Al-Aswad, son of Abdul Asad and Al-Aswad was also one of the major enemies of the Muslims one of the major enemies of Islam and it is said that he would later die uh, I think in the battle of I think in the battle of Badr he passed away or he was killed in the battle of Badr I don't remember exactly now Um, but that's what it is said concerning him that that's when he passed away that's when he died but the point being that he is the first of the two the second of the two and so this is the one that's, uh, that's concerning us in these verses. Some of the scholars said that it's referring to him. It's his brother. His brother's name is Abdullah, but he's more famously known by his kunya, and that is Abu Salama. Abu Salama, radiyallahu an. And Abu Salama is the famous companion of the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and the first husband of Ummu Salama. Ummu Salama being the mother of the believers. Ummu Salama is our mother, radiyallahu anha, one of the wives of the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa She's the one who the Prophet married, she's the one that said that I heard the Prophet say Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that if a believer is struck with a calamity and says, Inna wa inna Oh Allah, reward me in this calamity of mine and give me something better in its place, then Allah will reward them and give them something better in its place. She said that I made this dua when my husband Abu Salama was 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 uh, passed away when he died. But I thought to myself, who could be better than Abu Salama? He's one of the greatest companions, one of the early companions, early Muslims, one of the most virtuous of the companions who would be better. And then the Prophet asked for a hand in marriage. And no doubt the Prophet is better than any other individual. And so Abu Salama is this famous individual. Abu Salama is also from the um from the uh blood's uh, blood. Uh, not blood, milk fostered brothers of the Prophet sallallahu what we call in Arabic al radaa. al is milk fostering so in, the, in, in Islam as you know if someone has a child under the age of, before they start to eat solid foods and they are suckled by a, a woman they become a milk fostered child to them in Arabic this is called al radar and it has a number of rulings concerning it, you often find it in for example the chapters of fiqh that speak about nikah and marriage and so on, often refers to it. And from those ben- or those rulings is the issue of mahramiyya, of, of who can be your mahram or not. And that's why the Prophet says, when it comes to marriage, that which is haram for you to marry from your own blood relations, it is haram for you to marry from your milk-fostered relations as well. So it has a number of rulings. And that's why one of the, uh, in the hadith, uh, when Umm when Salama, or oh, not Salama, but one of the other wives I believe. She came and she said, Why don't you marry O Messenger of Allah the daughter of Abu Sanama? Why don't you marry the daughter of Abu Salama? The Prophet said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, even if I wanted to I couldn't. Even if I wanted to, I couldn't. Why? Because she's the daughter of my brother for Milk Fostery. So he said, Don't tell me about your daughters and, and and the and your sisters because we have relations amongst them. So just as the Prophet Sallallahu as we know went to Halima, he went to Halima as as a child and she breastfed him. Anyone else that went to Halima as and was breastfed by her, they become his brothers from rada'ah, from milk fostering. And the Arabs had this and they still have this in many of their cultures, it is still common. They know their relations and they keep those relations and they have a whole system that marks those relations. And so they know that this person is related to me, not by blood, not by marriage, but through milk fostering. And the rules that then pertain to that. Because it's haram for you to marry someone like that. That's what he said. The Prophet ﷺ said, don't tell me about the daughter of Abu Salama. He's my brother. She's like my niece. I can't marry her. Just as you can't marry your actual niece in Islam, you can't marry your blood niece, your brother, your sister as a, has a child, has a nephew, your nephew your niece, you can't go and you can't marry them. Likewise, I can't marry her because she's like my niece, but for milk fostering. The Arabs used to know this. So Halima breastfed the Prophet ﷺ. she breastfed Hamza anh, the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ. she breastfed Abu Salama. And so they had what they call Rada'a between them. This is called Ahkam Rada'a. And it's a whole thing. The Arabs know this and they understand this. And they understand, therefore, because it's very important for issues of marriage, mahram, who's mahram, who can I see, not see, who can I travel with, They know all of these issues. And that's why in the in the hadith um, that is mentioned, where the man came to the Prophet sallallahu and he said to him, uh, he said to him, O Messenger of Allah, I married a woman, and uh, and someone came and she said to us, an elderly lady, she said that I breastfed both of you when you were children. He said, I don't remember. My wife doesn't remember, and no one that I've spoken to remembers this. The Prophet sallam turned away from him. So he came to the other side and he said, Oh, Messenger of Allah, this is what she said, but no one knows. The Prophet ﷺ said, wa qad qil. How can you carry on in this marriage when someone makes that claim? Even if no one knows and remembers. The fact that she said it, now causes a doubt. And so therefore, he divorced her. Shows to you like just the importance and the, and, and, and the gravity of this issue. So in certain cultures, that's the norm. Like They know this stuff. So these are issues that should be taken very lightly or, or, or something, but our religion, has this way of 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 of, of uh, allowing certain people to to have a relationship in this way or a connection in this way it is called a rada'ah. so from the milk fostered brothers of the prophet was Abu Salama was Abu Salama radiallahu an Abu Salama ibn Abdul Asad. It is all, and he was also from the famous uh, companions from the early Muslims. Some narrations of Abu Salama say that he said concerning himself, he said that I remember being the 10th or the 11th person in Islam, meaning I remember when there was only 10 or 11 of us. So he's from the early Muslims, radiyallahu anhu, and it shows how Islam, when it came, split family members. His brother is one of the chief leaders of Quraysh and one of the major or main enemies of Islam and the Prophet sallallahu and Abu Salama is from the early Muslims and from the major companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi and Abu Sanama was also from amongst those who made both hijras. He went to Abyssinia, along with his then wife, Umm Sanama, and then it is also said that he went to Medina. And the scholars differ, by the way, on this issue. Uh, there's an interesting, you know, for those of you that are interested in history and seerah, uh, one of the things that you will come across is this uh, discussion of who was the first companion to migrate to Medina who was the first companion to migrate to Medina. And you will often find that people say that it's, for example, Mus'ab ibn Umair, an, the famous companion who when the Prophet wasallam, after the second pledge of Aqaba. He, the, 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 the people of Medina wanted someone that would go and teach them Qur'an and part of their religion and call others to Islam. So the Prophet wasallam said alongside them, Mus'ab ibn Umair, an, Mus'ab later would be martyred in the Battle of Uhud, radiyallahu but Musa bin Umair was sent, and often he's referred to as the first ambassador in Islam for that reason. However, there are narrations, if you look at, for example, some of the classical works of tafsir, like the Seerah ibn Hisham, and the Seerah ibn Ishaq, and some of the earliest works of Sirah that we have, because these are the major early works of Seerah that we have, as opposed to the ones that then came later. You will often find narrations within them that say that it was Abu Salama, Abu Salama, who was actually the first person from Mecca to migrate. But he migrated, it is said, a year or more before the Hijrah. So even before this Pledge of Allegiance and so on. It is said that when he was returning from, because what happened was when the companions were in Abyssinia, uh, there was a, uh, a rumor that was spread that things are better now, you can go back and it's safe for you and so on. And as those companions started to leave Abyssinia and go back towards Mecca, they realized that actually no, it's not much better. There's still problems there. In fact, if anything, it's worse than it was before. So they realized that those errors or those messages or those rumors were incorrect. But by then, most of them had made that journey back. And in those days, as you know, not like today where you just jump on a flight, go back, it's a a month of travel. And you're taking your possessions and you often have your family and children with you. It's a it's a major undertaking. And so therefore, they, they stayed those companions. It is said that Abu Salam was amongst them who came back early and he realized that actually the situation in Mecca is worse than before. It's not actually any better. In fact, if anything, it's worse. Because as we know, after the death of Abu Talib, things got worse for the Muslims. And they became even more harsh upon our Prophet wasallam. So as he was going back, it is said in those narrations that he'd heard that some of the people of Yathrib, which is the old name for Medina, before it's called Medina, the Arabs used to call and refer to it as Yathrib. And Allah jal mentions this in the Quran when he says, Ya ahla yathriba, la muqama lakum the They often used to call the people of Medina the people of Yathrib, that's his old name. Uh, he heard that some of the people of Yathrib now accepted Islam and they were it was better there, easier there than it was elsewhere. So he went to Medina instead because he realized that sooner or later more and more Muslims if the situation in Mecca is just becoming more and more difficult eventually more Muslims will come and settle in Medina so perhaps there is hope until things settle and the Prophet sallallahu decides on some course of action. So it doesn't seem like he knew or he could foretell that Medina would become the place of hijrah. But just for himself, he just thought that it was uh, probably a good idea in the interim until he could see and understand what's going on. So it said that he came to, uh, came to Medina and that's where he settled uh, radiallahu anhu and obviously then shortly afterwards within the next year or so, the Prophet ﷺ gave the command for all of the companions to make way to Medina and he himself also did so And so Abu Salama, it is said, you will often find in those books, as I said in the Seerah they often say that he's the first one to make Hijra. You will often find this, that he's the first one to make Hijrah You will find this in many of the classic, the very early works of, of Seerah And there's not really a major difference here It's a difference of, 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 of context as opposed to a difference that is major because the first person to make Hijrah in that sense, is Musab ibn Umir because he's the one that made Hijrah by the command of the Prophet. But the first Meccan to have already come and settled there was probably Abu Salama, but he didn't do so by way of instruction. It wasn't because he was told or he was advised or he thought this is the Hijrah, but rather he came and he settled there from his, of his own accord. But he was from the first Meccans, therefore, or the first Meccan or Muhajir to come and settle in the city of Medina, and he would remain there. Uh, for the next two or so uh, years after the Hijrah of the Prophet as well because he died shortly after the Battle of, of Badr it is said that he was injured in the Battle of Badr and the injury over time became better but at the same time uh, it hadn't fully healed so he became better but he was he still had some, some impact and some issues from that uh, particular battle uh, and then he went on another expedition that the Prophet sent him on not a major battle, but just a group of companions to go. And and he sent him on the expedition. And in that expedition, his wounds festered. They became worse. And upon his return, surely afterwards, he passed away, radiyallahu anhu arda. So he died around the second or the third year of the hijrah. And you will find narrations that say that that took place after Badr. Badr is where he got injured. And others say, no, Uhud. Uhud was where he was injured. And then it happened after that. And Allah knows best. But either way, Uh, very early on like relatively early on in the the second third odd year of the hijrah he would pass away Abu Salama and so he was from the early companions and from the early Muhajireen and from therefore from those who also passed away in the lifetime of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and as we know then that his uh, wife his widow Umm Salama will later on go on to marry our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam this will be coming from the Ummahatul Mu'minin, the mother of the believers. So Abu Salama, some of the scholars said that this is this is who is referring to. This is who is being referred to here. <coughs> uh, and then, as we said, ila ahlihi masrura, he will go and be happy, or go and show the happiness and joy to his family. They differed as to whether it's referring to his family of the dunya, in the context of them being believers, that he will go and he will rejoice with them because they will also be. The people of Jannah, as Allah Azza wa Jalla says, "وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَالتَّبَعَتْهُمْ ذُرِيَّتُهُمْ بِإِيمَانٍ الْحَقُّ نَبِيهِمْ ذُرِيَّتَهُمْ Those who believe and their families, offspring follow them in iman, and we will join between them." As Allah Azza wa Jalla mentions in Surah Tur, and as Allah Azza wa Jalla mentions also in Surah Al Ra'd, Jannah and Adniyadqulunha, وَمَنْصَلَحَ مِنْ آبَائِهِمْ وَأَزْوَاجِهِمْ وَذُرِيَّاتِهِمْ In Surah Al Ra'd, Allah Azza wa Jalla says, "Jannah that they will enter." Those and those who were good and righteous from amongst their fathers and their spouses, or their parents and their spouses and their offspring. And so, therefore, that's what's being referred to the people of their family that enter into Jannah, they will go and rejoice with them. And as we said, others said, no, it means their people in Jannah, their household in Jannah, they will go and rejoice to them as they're waiting for the accounting of others. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. And Qurtubi said, the reason why they do this is they go to speak to them and tell them that Allah saved them, that Allah gave them success, that Allah gave them salvation, that Allah taala uh, saved them from the punishment of the half-fire. And so that's what they're going to do, and that's what they're going to rejoice in. And Qurtubi also mentions the other position in his tafsir, that the ahl, his ahl, because the word ahl, as we know, can mean a number of things in the Arabic language. Ahl can mean wife and spouse. Your wife is your ahl. In Arabic language. Ahl can mean family, like your wife, your children, your, you know, like that's also called Ahl. And Ahl can also mean the group of people, a group of people like your people. So the Ahl can mean, can mean like a, a group of people, like your whole, uh, you know, your whole uh, people in terms of your family, but also your friends and your your employees and all of those can become Ahl also. So the Arabic language, it can be used in different ways. So al Qurtubi said, it's referring to, or he takes, uh, he has one of the positions that he mentions, is that it's referring to the spouses from the Hurul Eyn. That's what's being referred to here in terms of Ahl. He will go and he will rejoice telling them that Allah Azza wa Jalla saved me, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saved me from the punishment of the fire. Another said, no, it's referring to, as we said, his actual family, those from amongst them that will enter into Jannah alongside him. Uh, and and, and Sheikh Shanqiti, the teacher of our teacher, Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amin, rahim ta'ala, he combines between both. He reconciles by combining between both positions. And he says that both of them are being referred to here. It is his Ahl, his new family, meaning that which Allah Azza wa Jalla will give to them in Jannah from the Hurul'in and from the Wildan, from the, the slave boys or the slaves that they will have and the servants that will serve them and so on. That's one family. أَقَارِبِهِ الَّذِينَ دخلوا الْجَنَّةِ And likewise from his family, his close relatives that also entered into Jannah alongside him. And then he mentions those two verses as evidence for this that we mentioned the first verse in Surah al that they will enter into Jannah and those that were righteous from amongst their parents, their spouses and their offspring. So therefore all of them enter into Jannah together. That's now his Ahl. These are the people that are his new family. right? And this is, uh, this is the understanding that you get also from that verse in Surah Hud, in which Allah Azzawajal mentions the story of Nuh salam When Nuh Aleyhis salam is, is embarking upon his ark, and he looks at his son who refuses to come with him, and he says, come, get onto the ship. And he says, no, I'm going to go and climb the mountain, and I'll be safe there. And he says, no, no one will be safe on this day except those that Allah Azzawajal has mercy upon, and then Allah decrees that he's drowned. Nuh Aleyhis salam turns to Allah Azzawajal, and he says, Oh Allah, in nabi min ahli, my son is from my Ahlis, from my family. Allah Azza wa responds and he says, Innahu min ahlik, innahu salih, he is not from your family, because his actions were not of those that were righteous. And so Allah Azza wa gives to us this understanding, which is the understanding of the Akhirah in terms of what it means to be a family. And that is that on Al-Qiyamah, Allah Azza wa will tell people that their family are actually those from amongst their people who believed those from amongst their family who believed in Allah Azzawajal. And so whether it's Abu Sanama and his brother Al-Aswad, who were family and blood related in the dunya the Day of Qiyamah, they won't be family anymore. Or whether it's the story of Nuh salam and his son, or similar to it, the story of Ibrahim salam and his father, when his father will be changed into a different appearance, and then he will be taken into the fire. And some of the scholars mention that from the mercy of Allah Azzawajal, is that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, when the people of Jannah, going to Jannah then those members of their family that didn't enter into Jannah alongside them they will be like a distant memory or they will not be uh, remembered in that way meaning it won't be they won't be remembered in a way that will cause anguish sorrow sadness to the people of Jannah because that would only increase them in that which Jannah is free from free from so Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la will replace those feelings and Allah Azzawajal knows best and similar to it Shaykh Shaqeet also mentions the verse in Surah At-Tur Those who believe and their offspring follow them in Iman then we will join them, join between them in Jannah meaning we will reunite them in Jannah uh, and this is why, and then he says and so these people are also from his Ahl these people are also from his Ahl and he says min tamam min and this is from the perfection of the blessing of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala that a person will enter into Jannah alongside those that he can recognize and knows from his family who accepted Iman also and that is no doubt something which only increases a person in happiness increases in person in happiness and that's why one of the reasons why also that Islam urges people to for example to get married and have families and have children and to then be diligent in terms of their tarbiyah and their upbringing and so on one of the reasons also is for that so that Allah can increase them in their, in their happiness and in their joy on yawmul qiyamah as they are reunited with those people in the gardens of Paradise, may Allah make us our parents, our spouses, our families and children all of us, may Allah grant us the highest ranks of Jannah may Allah Subhanahu wa taala reunite us there with our loved ones upon Iman Okay, I think that's a good place for us to stop because next, then the verse 10 inshallah ta'ala next week we will go on to the second group of people and those are the ones who will be given their record from behind their back, meaning those people that will be from the people of the fire. So, if there's any questions, inshallah, we'll take them. Um, the first question is: People who are interested in benefiting from your tafsir class can ask questions like, Is it Hanafi fiqh, which Aqeedah? Is it based upon Ma'arif al-Quran? How would you suggest I respond? I've noted you don't mention Ma'arif al-Quran, is there any issues we should be aware of this tafsir? I don't really know what Ma'arif al-Quran is who's. Uh, like it rings a bell now, but I think it's, it's like a contemporary tafsir uh, from a scholar of either India or Pakistan, but I don't remember exactly who now from the top of my head. Um, I, as you know, in my tafsir, uh, you know, you take this as a principle. Like I, I try my best to refer to the classical works of tafsir and then others that came after them as well, but are still fairly classical in the sense that most of them are, are a few hundred years old. And I only refer to other than them because they bring something which is Different or something which is uh, somewhat unique. Like, for example, the Tafsir of Sheikh Shanqeeti, because of the way he makes Tafsir of the Quran with the Quran, the way he often reconciles between different verses that seem to suggest different things. That's the reason why I focus on it. But most of the Tafsir, as you know, is the statements of the Salaf, and then Tafsir like Al Tabari, Al Qurtubi, even Kathir, even, even Kathir now is like 700 odd years old, right? So it's not necessarily very contemporary anymore. Uh, I don't necessarily even focus much on. Uh, Sa'di, and one of the reasons for that is because we do that in Ramadan, and so you know we already uh, study that in quite some detail, even though I think it's a, it's an amazing tafsir. And if I do quote from a Sa'di or even the tafsir of our Sheikh Ibn al or some of those, it's because just to simplify something, simplify the concept that I think otherwise is more difficult to understand, and I would prefer to use their terms as opposed to use my own. That's the reason, otherwise, I don't really refer to any contemporary on as, as a general principle. yeah, There are exceptions as I mentioned here and there, but generally no. Otherwise there's many tafsirs that are contemporary, many tafsirs that are contemporary because it's something which people have written on prolifically over the last uh, number of decades. So there's many out there, so that's the reason. Number two, fiqh, we, don't, we haven't really done any fiqh, so I don't really understand where the fiqh is coming in. Other, other than something which I mentioned in passing, because of a benefit, like I think it's related and there's something which people can relate to. We haven't done any fiqh in terms of the verses of the Quran, we haven't done any verses of ahkam because all of the the these ajza' which are the last two, especially the last two juz of the Quran, and even some of the uh, the 28th and starts going into ahkam as we know because the Madini surahs, but all of the Mecki surahs more or less don't speak about any ahkam uh, in that sense. So we haven't really done any fiqh, Hanafi or otherwise. Um, and so And obviously the aqeedah, Aqeedah the aqeedah of Ahl sunnah the aqeedah of the companions in the salaf, that's like very clear. Um, But yeah, so that's probably the response to to give. And I think for someone that wants to study tafsir, I mean if they're just like people that just want to study a tafsir class, that's different. But this class, as you know, is like a more detailed class, it's meant for people who really want to study and learn tafsir, want to study tafsir or students of knowledge, really want to go into depth because that's what we do. You can't really go into depth in tafsir if you're going to be restricted by a fiqh or only take from one book or tafsir or whatever. And so people that often come and say, oh, why don't you refer to this tafsir? They're normally because that's like the sheikh that they like or they follow or it's the school of thought that they're upon. And they just want to pump that that particular book or point of view. Our tafsir isn't for that. What I want us to understand is what did the companions understand from this verse? What did their students understand? What did those early generations of imams of tafsir understand? If the tafsir then that is contemporary that you focus on, that you like and that you read, conforms to that, alhamdulillah, no problem, no issue at all. And if it doesn't, then that's a question that has to be asked because surely the tafsir of Ibn Abbas and Mujahid and Qatada and all of those imams of Islam is always far greater and far better than any tafsir that is contemporary. Even the tafsir of my teachers and my sheikhs, if they went against that tafsir. And so that's what we're trying to do here, to understand, to take people to a higher level and plane of understanding tafsir as opposed to just taking a book. And as we said, I don't have an issue necessarily doing that. We've done that with Jalalain, we did that, we're doing that inshallah ta'ala with Saadi, which inshallah ta'ala we will finish this coming Ramadan. So that I don't have an issue with that, but QP is, isn't that. That's a different program for a different book. Uh, the next question is if the row behind the Imam has started on the left instead of the right, do those to the left have to move towards the right? No, this is a sunnah. Anything which is a sunnah. Uh, anything which is a sunnah it isn't something which then people should overly become stringent upon so if someone's already started a row you don't go and, and mess up people's salah and whatever and sometimes uh, uh, another thing that people do is someone maybe came and they didn't start the row from behind the imam for whatever reason sometimes the messages that we have aren't necessarily straight the qibla is not straight, it's into a corner so the rows aren't necessarily equal in length either because just of the way of the shape of the building in the west so some people sometimes they come and they start the row from the middle but the imam's not necessarily standing in the middle anymore. He was at the at the top or the, at the front of the masjid but as the rows get back because of the shape of the building it's not necessarily the case. So some people just start in the middle but the imam's over there. So some other people come and they'll start behind the imam and there's a big gap now. Four people standing here, four people standing there on the same row. That's not something which people should do. If someone started the row, it's a sunnah. It's okay. So to become overly, um, you know, overly stringent on these issues, and then uh, you have division, the Prophet shall say, don't even leave a small gap, because if you do so, it'll separate, disunite your heart. So that's people standing next to one another. What about then people three here, three there, three there? It doesn't become, it doesn't become a soft anymore. It's not a row anymore. It's people, everyone, and sometimes, especially at the back, if it's one of the lateral rows, or the other rows right at the back of the masjid, sometimes that row's not even going to get full. Because with the early rows, you know that you know that inshallah, people are going to come throughout the salah. they're going to fill those rows up but towards the back, three here, three that the salah finishes and they're still separated in that way. So it's not a good thing. So so yes, that's generally the rule. But if someone doesn't know or someone doesn't do it, or for whatever reason, they come and they're late. And this is also from the fiqh of a person. You come in and the Imam's about to he's in Ruqur, he's about to stand up. It's easier for you to stand to his left in the in the soft than the right then you stand to the left because you catch more of the salah as opposed to going to the right. So uh, the sunnah, we have to understand what it means, especially when it comes to the rulings of whether it's salah or hajj or whatever. How have to understand when something's wajib or something's a sunnah. So someone comes at the beginning of the salah, they have plenty of time, know the issue. Yeah, they should go and stand to the right of the row because that's the general sunnah. But someone else, no, maybe their situation is different and maybe the the ruling will differ or someone just doesn't know. And they do what they're going to do then that also requires for us to be able to understand how to deal with that issue. Um, And then there's another question that seems exactly the same row, Uh, sorry the same question. Do men start the immediate right of the Imam and continue filling the row all the way to the right and the next person? No, no. So you fill the right side of the row then the left. So behind the Imam, you start from behind the Imam, fill the right side then fill the left. You always fill that first row before you be what it say, it doesn't mean you fill the first row right, the second row right, the third row. No, it's not the meaning. Um, so you go to the right and then the left, then the right, then the left, and so on and so forth, as we said, all the way to the back of the imam. And for the women's rows, um, if the imam is visible, then it will be the same. But if it's not, then I don't think it matters. Allah knows best. I don't think it matters if they're in a separate room because there's no imam for them to like follow in that sense. If they're going to be in a separate area And Allah knows best Okay so inshallah we'll conclude that Barakallahu feekum Wa sallahu ala nabi Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh